Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got uh, one of our favorite people in Memphis, Shadberry, who is going to come and talk with us today about uh, guilt and shame, uh, amongst a bunch of other things. Um, Mo Oninger is also here. Mo is also going to talk about guilt and shame with us. And so uh, we wanted to have a few dads uh, on just to talk about um, particularly just parenting guilt and the role that that can play in our um, in our parenting as well as just in our personal lives as well. So uh, if you are a mom, don't tune out. We think this is helpful content for everybody, even if it is just as talking today. So uh, all that said, let's get into it now. Here he is, Shad Berry uh, and Mo Oninger. All right, so Shad, you're here with us. I am so here in the here. flesh. This is our first, I think, all in. No, it's not. We just a few weeks ago had Becca and Jesse together. So I'll stop saying that. But we have not been uh, in studio with the outside guests in a while. So we're glad you're here. Man, so good to be here. Um, Mo, thank you also for being yeah, here. Absolutely. We, we have been, if you've listened, if you've been listening to the show kind of as they air, uh, it's November of 2023. We are just coming off of our biggest uh, anything that we've ever attempted, um, having the investing in hope event, which Shaq got to be there with us for it. Um, and so we are all, if we look tired, um, accurate, we are tired. <laughs> um, but it's been uh, a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks and has been uh, really great. So we wanted to have Shad on today. Chad, we've known each other for a while. You guys have known each other for an extremely long yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to talk about parenting guilt. And one of the reasons we thought of you, uh, is yeah, not, this is what I'm interested in hearing. <laughs> yeah. How did you think of me? <laughs> not because we thought who's the person who needs the most guilt, uh, because of their parenting. But we thought of people we know who have done the work. You're somebody who has, who has done a lot of work to, um, become aware of yourself and your past and how it affects, um, your present and all that. And so, uh, if you don't mind, we just kind of share for people who don't know you, the few that are out there, you know, who you are, kind of what you do now, and then maybe your intro into any of this awareness we're talking about. Yeah. Um, just thanks again for having me. I can't stop smiling being in this room. Mark Ottinger is a hero of mine. I've loved my time working with you, JD. Um, there would be no Shad Berry without Mark Ottinger. Um, and I think um, when Mark was the college pastor at First of Ann, you sent me a postcard, unlike none I'd ever received before, um, where you reached out and said, hey, I'm going to be reaching out to you. Um, and you showed interest in me and pursued me. I was... I don't know if I don't think I was I was engaged at the time, I think, to be married. And um, and you um, just expressed interest and value in uh, in me that really changed me um, and continues to change me. Um, So I'm just really grateful for your abiding friendship. And so this is a lot of fun to uh, be here at MFCC. And this has been your heartbeat since I've known you. you modeled um, what it means to care for um, foster children and the orphan for the least of these. And that's just been your, that's been your example. Um, And you'll always uh, hold a very dear place. You and Tana both and, and mine and Veronica's heart. So really significant. Um, And a lot of thoughts and memories and feelings flow through my head and, and laughter (laughs) stories emerge. So um yeah, I, you know, that's really where my journey began. I think the probably the most important part of the story to share um, in terms of my background and how I got into the work that I'm doing now, it always it really starts with the origin of a failed adoption for us. Um, 
it's no exaggeration to say we pursued adoption because of Mark and Tana's example. Um, we lived two streets over from them when we were in uh, Colonial Acres or Mayfair Park um, and watched uh, you guys go through a process that blew my mind watching that happen in real time and watching all the ups and downs and joys and pains and seeing these little lives be welcomed into a home with all this intentionality. And uh, Veronica and I um, got, uh, you know, I, I came from a, a family where the younger you were when you accomplished anything, the better it was supposed to be. So we got married yeah. and bought a house and had kids like all within, you know, a six month period. <laughs> uh, we crammed it all into, I hit a midlife crisis early as well. <laughs> I did everything fast, but um so we, um, you know, so we had had our sixth pregnancy, which ended in our second miscarriage, and that really put us on our heels. Um, I was also in the process of leaving a family business. Um, I'm the youngest of eight. My four older brothers were in the business with my dad. And and then we decided to pursue adoption because why not? Um, everything else was, you know, <laughs> the waters were already super smooth. And so we started internationally, ended up domestic. Uh, Mark guided us, walked alongside of us through that process. And um, long story short, um, after leaving the hospital with our Recording son, in progress. Um, the birth mom nine days later changed her mind and revoked her surrender. And we handed him back to her on the 11th day. And I was struck by the reality um, more poignant than ever is that you can't love at an arm's length distance and simultaneously protect yourself from pain. You know, to sign up to love is to sign up for pain. And um, I, I describe that as the moment that God tore the calluses off my heart, meaning up to that point, I was pretty moralistic. You don't chime in here, Mark. You don't know piling on. <laughs> I was pretty moralistic. I was very pharisaical in the sense that I was proud of how I behaved and what I did do or didn't do and judgmental of others that did and thought that if yeah. I, I could work hard enough and do the right things and say the right things and be the right way and things would work out. And um, that physiologically, emotionally, spiritually just put me into the fetal position figuratively and literally. And, uh, and I call it God's severe mercy. Cause it was like, it was severe cause it was painful to, to take a phrase from CS Lewis. It was, it was severe cause it was painful, but it was merciful cause it woke me up mm. and I needed to be woken up. Yeah. I was very, um, very disconnected from my heart. So that I tell people, some people walk into counseling voluntarily. I got pushed into it. Um, I didn't want to go. And I realized, and, and now looking back, realizing how absolutely vital uh, that has been in my journey and how much, you know, because from a parenting perspective, everything up, I had one tool, yeah. basically, it was like discipline, which basically equaled spanking. Um, it was like this, you know, you, you put kids in timeout, you control their behavior. And if you get big enough, loud enough, strong enough, they'll eventually comply. Right. Um, they may hate you forever, but, uh, you know, so it was like this control and, and power mechanism and man, that was exhausting and not working. And, um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a very long, and, I, and the more I learned, the more I realized, the less I know, the more humble, hopefully, I'm becoming, but yeah, that's, that's where, um, being introduced and, and I haven't formally, I need to haven't formally participated in an ETC uh, training so you can sign me up for that. But, um, uh, but my own counseling journey and my own heart work and, um, taking responsibility for that has been, uh, monumental, you know, yeah. transformational for me and impactful on my relationships specifically in marriage and family. Yeah. Why don't you, share kind of what you're doing, the work you're doing now. You've talked about going out of the family business mm -hmm. and you went into 
probably a direction you never thought you'd be going. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. Nothing I'm doing now that, that I, and I, well, some of the coaching I think was probably on my radar to some degree. I think I've always been in the people business, people development. Like I've always been drawn to, um, the, what I call unleashing the flourishing of human potential, like yeah. just playing a part of that always excites me. Uh, so I always find myself gravitating toward these topics, but so in 2014, uh, Tim Holler and I co-founded Cardia Collective, which is a practice management company that helps manage practices for licensed professional counselors and coaches. And so that, you know, I didn't want to become a counselor. I still don't, um, although I'm very intrigued by it. I also was blown away by the process it takes for counselors to become licensed and build a practice yeah. and manage it. And yeah. I like the business, the systems, the structure and the framework. And so it was a good marriage uh, because we were able to create a a framework where we could help therapists get licensed, establish a practice, build that in a sustainable way. Lots of ways to do it that don't, you know, and sustainable, I mean, emotionally and financially, (laughs) you got to have both to do well and good. So that's been really rewarding uh, work since 2014. And then in 2020, um, that morphed into a partnership with another mentor of mine. Uh, um, Mark and I knew and met about the same time, Ken Edmondson, which brings emotional, mental, relational health into the business world, into the organizational structure, into the heart of a leader. You know, how do you lead at a high level and perform at a high level without falling prey to the occupational hazards that tend to be customary of, you know, familial loss and sacrifice, physical health, emotional health. So, bringing that into that space has been a lot of uh, my recent work and effort. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so today we're talking about guilt, right. And parenting. And so um, I think we talk about it. I mean, probably every single time we talk about uh, parenting that, you know, there is the work of parenting, which like you said, a lot of times we, we you know, we're starting out, it's just controlling kids. Like that's the idea. And then very quickly, you know, the more work you do, you realize you've got to un- unpack your own past, your own baggage, everything that's going on with you. Uh, specifically with guilt, I mean, you talked about growing up in kind of a high achievement type uh, family and setting, and um, and this is not time to put your family on blast, obviously, yeah. but like the the I uh, love you. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely, it's not. So we're so when you're when you're you know growing up and you are and you are also also a very driven like you know like fun person. You love to achieve stuff. You love to get stuff done. What role did that play as you then began to kind of have your world flipped upside down? Like, where did that guilt sit with you? And then how, how did you begin to work through th- through some of that? Um, yeah, the one, I think it for me, it became important to differentiate between guilt and toxic shame, um, which through my own journey and, uh, has been a major delineation. I think that we have to make <clears throat> a lot of what I experienced, um, was toxic shame, which is the idea that being human is not enough. I had to be more than human in order to matter and belong. And I think that is customary with a lot of what we would call a performance-based identity, that my identity is based on and rooted in performance, um, uh, that I have a a self-worth that depends on what I've done. It's, It's like instead of it being, I have intrinsic value and worth, it's like I have intrinsic value and worth if, well... Right. In our context, for me, I've never lived anywhere outside of Memphis, so I can't blame the rest of the world. But in our (laughs) context, it felt very much like your value and worth is very much connected to the behavior of your children. Yeah. 
Um, which puts you, I mean, I think I started out for, for various reasons, not only because of my family of origin, uh, but in addition to, it's like you're on a ladder from day one. I was on a ladder, felt like I was on a ladder, often self-imposed of this is what it's supposed to look like. This is the path it's supposed to follow. So when you bring that and, and, and if it doesn't guess whose fault that is, mm. it's mine. Well, so I'm the problem, but that's not in a responsible way. It's just a, I'm the problem because I'm not doing a good enough job or they're reflecting poorly on me. So a lot of what I carried, uh, which was, which was still catastrophic in a lot of ways was this toxic shame, which was the sense that I've got to try harder, do more. It it just pushed you to push harder, to get louder, to get bigger, to get more stern, to, to get more aggressive. Uh, and I, you know, I'm summarizing a lot of that. It's not, that's not all I was, but when things weren't as I thought they ought to be, then that kind of monster would come out. Mm-hmm. Guilt is reserved for when I have failed my ethic, when I've failed my value system, when I've failed my moral code, when I've failed my conscience and I've violated those things. Cause I, cause I think what's and Mark, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but those need different things like yeah. toxic shame needs one thing. Guilt needs forgiveness, period. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I have wronged you. I have behaved in a way that's not consistent with my values. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so, so that needs forgiveness, which is one set of uh, one experience relationally. Cause I can't demand it. Like it's, it, it can only be received, but toxic shame is a whole nother line of work that if I don't deal with that, then I'm going to, my kids will inherit it. I will hand that to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Unpack it. <laughs> Unpack it. Yeah. Unpack so it. toxic Unpack. shame is, uh, I mean, you, when, and you, <laughs> I'm talking to the experts on this, but uh, <laughs> I, I've watched my kids and you've seen your kids come into the world, fully expecting the world to accept them, love them, believe in them. We, we, I envy my children who'd come into a room and be like, I'm here. Of course you're happy to see me. And of course you love right. me. And of course you'll change my diaper. Of course you'll wipe my nose. You don't care if I'm snotty, dirty, stinky, smelly. You'll pick me up, swaddle me. You will yeah. move toward me in my most disgusting state. And so you see kids do that. That's what we do naturally. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's how we're made yeah. in a secure attached environment right. to show up. Like, guess what? I'm snotty and poopy and gassy. Yeah. Aren't you? It's like, yeah, yeah, actually I am. I just hide it better than you do. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I don't wear a diaper anymore. So, so that, that whole idea of if I don't, uh, so what do we do then? And I'm, I'm using some easy yeah, yeah. Uh, low-hanging fruit here, but just yeah. for the point. What we start to do is you show up snotty and say, clean your nose. Don't come in this room again until your nose is clean. Mm. Uh, change your own diet. Hey, don't if, if you're going to do that or come in like that, you know, wash yourself up. Don't come in here that way. So we that is a way of shaming, right? So I, so yeah. I pass on my own shame. Mm. When I'm working with people or talking to people, coaching people, um, their, you know, their shame, that toxic shame came from somewhere. Now, there's a healthy side of that shame, which which embraces and is humble about. Um, oh yeah, this is what happens to humans. Yeah, this right. is a this is a human experience. This isn't yeah. man. Why is my nose so runny? Like, why do I always have to do biological things? Like, go to the bathroom. That, <laughs> I, I got to figure out how to stop that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we jokingly say like, okay, stop blinking. And so I like try right. to tell you to yeah. After after a few minutes or seconds, uh, you can't think about anything else but not doing this thing that your body yeah. is made to do. 
And so you could carry that all the way out to just common mistakes and missteps. So for dads, like taking this back to dads on this whole toxic shame thing, um, one of the free, most freeing things uh, someone said to me was like, oh, yeah, you've never done that before. How would you have known? Hmm. Like, so even repeating that to my kids when they asked, it was like, I don't know. I've never had a 21-year-old. I've never had an 18-year-old. I've never had yeah. a 14-year-old. Yeah. Never had a seven-year-old. Like, I've never seen this before. I never hmm. read this anywhere. So hmm. I do think um, the humility part, uh, and I, I'm talking too much. No, you're great. The, the humility part yeah. is... Um, when I can, when I am my healthy shame state, guess what I'll do? I'll ask for help. Yeah. When I was in my toxic shame narrative for 10 years, I didn't ask anybody for help. There's no way I was going to tell you. And as close as I'd gotten to Mo, there's still things I wouldn't, I'd still hold back Yeah. because it's like, yeah, I can go here, but dude, if he knows this, right. if I tell him this now, never talk yeah, he's again. the safest person on the planet, but like, um, but not knowing when, you know, not knowing how much people are different and how safe people are and what they can handle or can't handle. So we learn to hold on. But if I'm in my humble state and I say, man, I messed up. I yelled at my kid. I, I got angry. I slammed the door. I cursed. I called him a name. Um, Things that you're like, you know, now that would put me in the guilt category for me. (laughs) Uh, But like when you, when you um, don't know or don't have answers, don't know how to respond. When I'm in my humble shame state, I can say, who could I ask about this? Who could I talk through this with? What training is available? <laughs> what yeah. coaching might I be able to find? Right, right, right. Um, so it's a big deal. Guilt. Let's talk about it. Yeah, this, yeah, this is why you're really here. So talk about all the guilt. <laughs> I jokingly said before the episode, I was like, so how did y'all land on me for the guilt episode? But, um, so guilt, when I, when I, when I have violated that code of conduct, my values framework, which another challenge for all of us. um, I don't think many of us go through the exercise or take the time to define what we value, like what's aspirational and what's actual. Do we name that value and then define that value and then tell people this is what it's like if you experience it. So Uh, That's a whole, maybe a whole nother train of thought. But when I violate those things and I treat somebody in a way that is not consistent with what I say I value or honor, then what do I do? Yeah. Um, And this is, I think this is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful relational process. Um, When I'm in a healthy state of shame and I tell anybody I'm in a relationship with, like the longer you're in a relationship with, the more likely it is I'm going to hurt you. Right. I'm like, I will hurt you. There's a difference in hurt and harm. You know, harm is yeah. that more kind of abusive, whereas hurt is a natural occurrence in the midst of relationship. Yeah. But like, if I hurt you, then the proper response is to ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. more than an apology. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it's, to be sorrowful over your behavior is good. It's a good first step towards asking for forgiveness. To right. ask for forgiveness is a much more humble heart posture. So when i when i'm when i live in toxic guilt which i think is probably a little bit what we're talking about this yep. chronic state of a sense of i'm guilty all the time yeah toxic guilt is basically i i need to self punish self flagellate like i need to punish myself repetitively because i haven't been able to receive forgiveness that's been offered yeah so there's a major hang up, right? If, mm. if, if you've offered forgiveness and we all know people in our lives that like maybe are still apologizing for things 
And maybe you're still apologizing, man. I'll, that time I, I'm mm-hmm. so, I'm still so sorry. I'm still so sad about that. It's like, man, I forgave you. So that's not about you. It's about how how open am I to receiving yeah. that forgiveness? So part of the question for us is, has have I asked for it? Because a lot of times, like that's a very courageous, yep. vulnerable thing to do. Yeah, I wronged you. I don't like how I handled that. It's not aligned with how I want to be. It harmed our, hurt our relationship, fractured it, yep. whatever. Uh, I need your forgiveness. And I, I will wait for you to give it, to offer it. Yeah. I can't demand it from you, uh, which is a very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids will oftentimes, it's okay. It's okay. So no, it's not. It's, it's not okay. And you know, when, if, if you forgive me, I'll receive it and appreciate it. But, but are, are you, you know, just to the audience of like, are you carrying around guilt and still punishing yourself for something for which you have been forgiven? Mm. It's a great exercise. Make a list of the things that you are still guilty. Guilt is a great emotion because then you can actually experience the freedom of being forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot to, um, it's, it's a lot to unpack. Yep. Can I, can I add a, Add, dude. <laughs> uh, so, another component of this that I think is really important that is that uh, that I think needs to be on the table is where grief fits into this. Mm. A lot of times, what I experience when I am feeling this sense of toxic, chronic guilt, yeah, I've failed, I've missed it, I didn't do enough, or I did too much of the wrong thing. It's really grief just beneath the surface of that, mm. um, and. So grief is this this honoring emotion because as parents, as dads, we're losing all the time. Like yeah. there are losses every which way. As kids get more independent, as they make decisions we don't have control over, as they, you know, move toward other people in relationship, as they I mean, there's just little losses and losses are normal. They're that's good. You know, that there are there is anything you say yes to, you're saying something no to something else. There's always a loss. So I think we also have to really contend with and do business with what, what are we grieving? Cause when we're in denial of our grief, then something has to be blamed. Like, so then I need to blame myself. I villainize myself. I villainize them. You moved away. You talked to them. You went there. You did this. You did that. You didn't do what X, Y, or Z, or I didn't do this. It's my fault versus going, Oh man, it's yeah. really sad. I can't protect them. I can't help them. Mm. They didn't ask if only they had asked, if only they had known, if they don't, you know, whatever it could be like, there's just the appropriate response to all that is just like, Oh, that's so sad. Like, yeah, it's so, I mean, as a dad, I've said all that. Yes. Yeah. This, this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's every day. It is. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't make you pitiful. That doesn't make, that makes you human. Yeah. It, it also means that you've attached well like that you cared well, like that's, yeah. that's the thing. The only way to not be sad is to not care to become apathetic, mm-hmm. which is another problem altogether, which we, we try. I've tried so much easier. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, it's, it is like, that was for me, I think, um, you know, I don't think I realized until kind of going through this process of, of learning more about myself. I don't think I realized how deep of a separation I was keeping between the people that I love the most and 
my true self, who I really was. Because uh, if if I don't if I don't care as much, if I don't uh, allow them in as much, then it doesn't hurt as much, right? When there is sadness and hardship, but we're but we're living in a world, and so we're going to have hardship. We're going to have sadness. We're going to have heartbreak and um, and have things said that will hurt us and, and things that we will take the blame for that are not ours to, to take blame for. And like you were just talking about, especially with kids, as they get older, mm-hmm. you know, I, like we were, my, my brother recently just had a baby and so we were with them and, and holding the baby is the best when, it, especially when it's not your baby, like you're just holding baby and like, just enjoying that, like peacefulness and that quietness. They're not calling you names. They're not, you know, like, they're not disappointing you yet. Like, so we were just joking about how, like, you know, you go from physical parenting where you are just meeting needs physically and it is exhausting. And you're doing that all the time. And that transition happens to more emotional parenting where kids are getting dressed by themselves and, you know, usually going to sleep by themselves. Like they're not, there's not those same intensity of physical needs, but the emotional toll is gigantic. And that's when a lot of those tiny little emotional paper cuts are coming all the time. And what you're saying is, is really important. I think that, I mean, I have to remind myself, like Mo was saying, like on a daily basis has around myself of what, you know, what is guilt? Like what, what have I, you know, in some way filled my kids in, which are going to be numerous things every day. And then I need to kind of go and own with them and model that taking responsibility. And then what are the things that I have absolutely no part in that I just need to be able to grieve and be there with them in the sadness and not go in trying to strong arm, fix everything, um, and so I think that was one of the key things for me in, in like unpacking that guilt and shame within me was I had to be able to, to learn how, and I'm still learning every day how to just be sad with our kids and not offer a, but don't worry about it. You know what? Let me tell you on the positive side, like, so mm-hmm. yeah. And, and think about what you're modeling by doing. So I would describe a little bit of my early development is basically what I didn't realize I was doing was trying to escape my own humanity. I needed to be, I needed to become superhuman. Uh, part of what we're modeling is just how to be human. Yeah. Like we're, what I want for my kids is the freedom to be comfortable in their humanity in the sense that you can't be more than that. Mm. So the emotional responses are very appropriate you're not knowing your sense of I made a mistake, your sense of I've done something wrong. Like, yeah, that's, that's so human. I've been, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Versus what I tended to do is react to it mm-hmm. in a more controlling way of trying to get a different result, protecting themselves or protecting me. Yeah. That's good. Which is so ironic, right? I mean, when you think about it, we're trying to control behavior, all right. It's behavior modification. Right. But it's not the heart. Yeah, I can't even control mine. Right. I'm like right. trying to control theirs. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Mo, I mean, I wonder, you've obviously been teaching the EDC classes in Memphis for a, a long, long time. And you, know, you get the same questions from the same, and, and if we're going to not pick on dads, but, but like mm-hmm. highlight dads, a lot of the same questions at the same time. You know, are there some things that as we're talking about this, you think about those moments in classes that you've had uh, of themes that continue to recur um, with dads? I mean, obviously, <clears throat> it's interesting because I just, I mean, first of all, everything I'm about to, uh, that I'll say pertains to me. But I was just with two of my kiddos over Thanksgiving break at a water park. And um, it was so interesting watching the difference between the moms in the water park with the kids and the dads. Mm. 
the amount of dads that were okay sitting in the hot tub while their kids were like little who knows kids, where, right? Who knows where? <laughs> going down water slides, yeah. you know, the dead man's drop stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In the wave <laughs> pool, yeah. in the wave pool, yeah, oh, all that sort of stuff. And and but it, to me, it was such a picture of how dads just zone out mm. emotionally on their kids. And then when their kid doesn't act the way they should, the amount of dads that were Energy. just so mad at their yeah. kids or yanking them here or doing this. And um, it, it kind of was um, – it, it was uh, a little overwhelming for me because I had not been in an environment with – because it's – I mean, it's stressful. It's loud. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds of kids. It's a yeah. Lot. It's winter and it's an indoor water yeah, park. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I mean, I granted it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, but like I just, I was just like, ah, oh, just be attuned. Just, just be yeah. present with your kid. Just know what's happening. Like they're not a bad kid. They're overwhelmed, right. and you're not fully present with them. And so, I mean, I think the over like just hearing Shad talk was again, we're human. And there's work we need to do and we're messy and the beautifulness of guilt. Like so often we think guilt is this bad thing, mm-hmm. right? But it moves us toward forgiveness mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And, but it was interesting. I was on an elevator with the dad. And I was thinking about guilt because I knew we were going to be talking today. And, and the dad was like, I'm sorry, but you know, if you would have listened to me, mm-hmm. like, you know, like it, you can't mm-hmm. even go in with the sorry. You, yeah. you can't, you have to justify it. Like it was just, I just, I mean, I just, every time I'm on here and we're talking about dads, it's like, man, you've got to do the work. Mm -hmm. Our kids need us to do the work. And the beautifulness about repairing, saying I'm sorry, we know from the brain is that it actually rewires. Yeah. So it it is this beautifulness of us saying, I'm sorry, that releases dopamine and all those things to begin to allow emotional, spiritual, all those things, neurological development. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, Shad, like the question we always get, like when I get up and share and I share about my guys group and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we got listeners all over the country. We got dads that are, you know, we may have wives that are elbowing them saying, you need to do this. Like, (laughs) what do they do? Like, that's always the million Mm -hmm. dollars. Where do I start? Mm -hmm. Where do I, as a man, where do I begin this work? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. And, um, I think, uh, if I can, as I answer that, I want to add one other reality of, I mean, there's so many beautiful aspects of this, but that guilt leads me to asking for a legitimate need, which I think is another lost art of relationship and yep. humanity. Yep. We don't know what we need. Uh, men stereotypically have the tendency to minimize, deny our own neediness. Yeah. One of the things that has been one of the most freeing uh, pieces to surrender to is how needy I am. Like, I'm just a very needy person. And in the past, that would be so insulting. And yeah. now it's like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and human being, beings are made to have needs and meet needs. But right. if I don't know what I'm needing, then I'm going to demand that the, everyone around me guess. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm placing all this expectation on other people because I don't want to face the vulnerability of asking for it, whether that's forgiveness or just presence or time or attention, comfort, like legitimate needs. Yeah. And so then, but I still need it nonetheless. Right. I I'm lying to myself and everybody else. Nobody's John Wayne, you know, but uh, figuratively like, so you all have needs, but then we resent people. For, so for men to just 
surrender over the fact that women are not more needy than men. Like all these comparisons we make of men and women, most right. of them are so unfounded. Um, you know, most, mostly the difference is agreeableness and aggressiveness. Everything else is relatively consistent across the, the bell curve and the genders So like, well, you have the same needs your wife does. You're going to express it differently and more uniquely. So right. I think for, for men, um, get, just be aggressive about asking for help. Even if you don't know what kind of help you need, if you feel so loneliness, if you feel any sense or twinge in your being that your connection with your kids, or your wife is not what it ought to be. Go ask for help. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you feel any twinge that there's more and you don't know how to get it. And if you're trying to control your external environment, and if you're more focused on changing everybody else and shuffling the deck with the people around you than you are uh, looking internally first and asking, uh, here's a great question. Two great questions I asked that are scary. One, what am I contributing to what I don't like? And two mm. is asking people that you care about is, hey, what's it like to be in a relationship with me and not respond defensively? Mm-hmm. I just say, just all right, what's it like for you to be in relationship with me and be prepared to receive that from people you trust that you believe aren't trying to hurt you or harm you, that they actually want more with you, but be aggressive. So, I mean, very practically, you've got counseling and therapist, find out anybody locally uh, online. That's so of much availability. Um, ACA adult children of alcoholics dysfunctional families um, is a huge, free, powerful resource that dives in to the depths of, and people I talked to somebody yesterday, they were like, my parents never drank. I said, it's not about the alcohol, (laughs) the dysfunction of relationship and the lack of secure attachment, the the traits of whether they drank or not are the same for people that grew up in dysfunctional homes. And we didn't learn how to be secure in healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, Anyway, those are some very, you know, immediate, but, but even just finding, you know, Chip Dodd always said 99.9% of the world does not care what happens to you. It's your job Mm -hmm. to go find the 0.01% that do. A lot of us take on that victim mindset of men. Well, you know, no community. They don't care. They didn't reach out. They didn't invite me. You know, all these, this blame game. It's like you go find them. I go find them. They are out there. Yeah. Find them and tell them the truth about what's, not okay with what's going on inside of you. Yeah. Uh, cause of all the power of the, the freedom, you know, yep. we're all afraid that if I tell the truth to somebody that they're going to run from me. And what I've been learning is like, Stop. Pe- yeah. Stop. Yeah. Vulnerability. Yes. It is. Well, and I, I mean, even in, even to bring it back to parenting and like teaching our kids that like no few parents ever walk into dirty diaper and like, are you serious? You pooped in your diaper. I mean, I probably did. Well, there were, <laughs> yeah, there were but that was more times. about me there than them. Few, <laughs> I don't mean, that's on me. There were a few uh, of those diapers. Like, you took it off your head. Hey, I got a call. Can you handle this? <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to like up your back into your hair kind of blowouts, <laughs> but like the, but I mean, we, you know, if we were, if we would just remember the way that we love our kids and, and the baby analogy is perfect because it typically is before you start to get to that point of, of insecurity taking over, you are like, there's something hardwired in us to we're, we're okay taking care of a baby. Like do, if a baby crying, I need to feed them. Great. We'll feed them. We'll, we'll feed them, take care of them. That same intensity, like of, of attentiveness 
like it changes because the needs change and morph a little bit, but has to stay there with our kids as they grow. Right. And so when there's a, when there's a big behavior, we talk all the time about like, there's, um, like seeing the needs behind the behavior, right? So like when, uh, when I have a, a preteen or a teen uh, come in with the big behavior, which doesn't happen in our house, our house right. very often, right. but for other people who do, like when that happens and they come in with that big behavior, my gut reaction, because I'm an imperfect human, is going to be either to roll my eyes or to get frustrated or to, or to try to match the intensity back. Like, don't come in the room that way. Like, hold on, come in, you can talk to us. If I remember, if it, if they were coming in crying, I would typically melt immediately and say, "Hey, hey, hey, what do you need?" So if I can begin to translate those things to see big behavior as a communication that they're not sure how to get across, it can help me to then go to them a little more softly and then say, "Hey, what what do you need here?" And to be secure in their needs too, even though those needs are being communicated sometimes in ways that mm-hmm. are are bigger than we're prepared for, or you know. One of the big shifts for me was when those big behaviors come, uh, come, sometimes they're coming in ways that are uh, ways that I would have been chastised for growing up, right? Or that, you know, societally we would, we would not be cool with now. And to, to be able to lean further into that, to accept that as an express need, then is implicitly sending a message to mm-hmm. them of, and there isn't anything that's too big for mm-hmm. them. Like mm-hmm. now inappropriate behavior is inappropriate behavior and, and it needs to be dealt with, but it needs to be dealt with in the, in the proper way. And if we know the brain science, when that behavior is going on, logical brains shut down. So we got to get back to a place of restored relationship and then address those things. And so I think that like has been a hard thing to remember, like in these seasons of preteens and teens, but something that I think you know, this whole message is, is bringing us back to. Yeah. And the, and what you're describing too, I think like the legitimate, so John Townsend has a book called people fuel that I really like. Cause he took basically put human relational needs, these relational nutrients into four quadrants. It's a great, it's a great reference guide. Cause like, if you were to ask me what I needed, you know, I wouldn't have been able to describe it, but yeah. these quadrant one needs of presence, what you're describing is acceptance of, I accept you without judgment as you are. Our relationship is not at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the, no, yeah. the behavior is not going to threaten our relational connection. Now it may break trust. It will have an impact and consequences naturally that have to be restored or rebuilt, but the relationship is not at stake. And so mm-hmm. being able to offer that now for me to be able to offer that has demanded that I go back into my own story. So like, I, the more in denial I was of my own. So if I'm committed to becoming more than human, then guess what I have to do? I have to lie and minimize my humanity. Yeah. I have to brush over and minimize the things that hurt me, impacted me, the losses, the breakups, the pitfalls, the failures, the sin, whatever. Yeah. And I've got to minimize massage, you know, create some narrative when I can go in eyes wide open back into that story, then I am far more capable still not as much as I want to be, but far yeah. more capable to be present and available. But like, you can't like this, you can't teach somebody like, it's not something you can just cognitively learn, you know, like right. you've got to right. go be present with yourself. Um, to and it's not a one time or, right. or a six week uh, course or it's a, it's an ongoing yeah. and it takes a lifetime to learn how to live. Yeah. 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 Mm. And even, you know, I know we've talked about babies and diapers and all that, but, like I always like parenting, like there's this notion that 
at 18, we launch mm. them out <laughs> and we're done. Right. Who gave, us, like, that who gave, who us, gave that? us that idea? Who gave us that idea? That is a bad idea. Maybe if they, and, and, and so I, I just, you know, I, my encouragement to dad is, is like, man, there's just do the work quicker than mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. there's your, your kids, your wife, your, friends they they need you to be fully present and you know we always say that trauma can it, it has interest and you can either you can mm. work on it now or you can work on it later and that's great but like there's just there's going to be mm. interest later and yeah. unfortunately it affects our kiddos and yeah. so you know i just say for the sake of your kiddos and you're right do the work now mm-hmm. um, as yeah. Chad and I are navigating yeah. young adults launching out all the things. It's just, it's still, you know, we're still dads and, and needing that care. Cause I think this is other part of the narrative for those of you who may find yourself resisting this needing that type of care support is not an indictment on you. No. It doesn't mean you're right. failing. It means, mm-hmm. you know, like if it's not hard, it means you're probably not trying so if it's hard yeah. and you're failing, good. Like at least you're trying. Right. Like needing yeah. help doesn't mean that you've. And in in our occupations and careers, we don't necessarily turn our nose up at getting trained or developed or educated. But for some reason, in some of this interior space of the heart mm-hmm. and of relationship, it we look down on that often. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, I think that um, doesn't indict you. It doesn't mean you've failed. Um, it means you're normal and human. It's really, it's really hard. These are, these are wild waters to navigate as parents. Yeah. Um, can I, can I add one other thought too? That's like, so behind this, this overarching, I think the other idea that is really important for us is as we think about our, and view our parenting through a particular lens is thinking about longing, a mm-hmm. uh, longing or craving is such an interesting word of this idea there's a part of you that longs for things to be how they ought to be, or yeah. maybe were in originally intended to be, and they never will be this side of eternity. And so the other thing I have to accept and surrender to is that when things happen that don't align with my longing, yeah. uh, my longing for a place that I call home where everything works the way it ought to be, where I'm appreciated, probably more desire to be worshiped, like where I'm, where I'm appreciated for what I've done and the only the good is seen in me and my kids yeah. respond lovingly and my wife yeah. is so proud of me, which she is. Uh, but like, like I long for this place called home where everything just works. Yeah. And so when I try, so some of the pressure, when I try to make heaven on earth, so to speak, and I try to bring home here instead of move toward home, I create a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, and I do, yeah. you know, generally create things that I am for which I am guilty versus like the, the, the expression again from chip of life on life's terms that, you know, when bad things, hard things, challenging things happen, it doesn't always have to be somebody's fault. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not your failure. It's like, Oh yeah, that, of course, of course that broke. Of course that failed. Of course, you know, a guy this morning transmission went out in his car, like just, you know, all sorts of things happen. So your longings are great because they point towards your hope but just make sure you recognize that that's what they are. They're longings. They're not entitlements to the here yeah, and now. That's really good. That's great. That might be the place we need to settle on. Land it. Yeah. All right. Shad, thank you. Thank you all.
Love being with you guys. Let's do it again. Let's do it. So uh, that was our conversation with Shad and with Mo and uh, just really appreciate um, both them joining us today and and just thankful for um, Shad's friendship and, and all that he shared today. So uh, you can check the show notes for more information on him and the work of Cardia and um, all the stuff they've got going on. Um, we can also uh, would love for you to know that uh, all of our episodes now are on YouTube, uh, both for our Tuesday show, our which is the Empowered to Connect podcast, and as well as our Friday show, Carpool Q&A. You can find them all on YouTube um, as well as hundreds of hours of resources from Dr. Karen Purvis and our team uh, with teaching on um, any variety of topics you could ever want to find. Um, you can also find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And so uh, with all that said, for uh, Mo, for Shad, for everybody here at ETC, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.